Welcome into District 1 Sports. Mike and Micah back with you for another week. Micah, how has the past week been for you? Man, um, we got a little bit of time away from, um, you know, the NBA because the, uh, the All-Star break. And it was a good time just to kind of, you know, see where our favorite team, the Washington Wizards, um, you know, where their stake has been in the league and what they need to do. But also, NFL free agency has took an unprecedented turn with, um, you know, the cap space being lower than last year's because of a number of reasons. We're seeing a lot of movement, to say, in the NFL. And it's probably one of the most dynamic off-seasons we've seen. So, uh, great sports week once again, man. I'm ready to attack it. Yeah, it's going to be in the next couple of weeks, actually. The NFL is going to ramp up. We're going to have a lot to discuss about. But this is usually the last week. We're seeing some cuts before uh, free agency actually begins next week. But once next week does hit and the 15th hits, with all the cuts, teams will be making moves um, immediately. Before we get into the football team, I do want to start with the Wizards like we usually do. The last time that we were on the podcast, um, the Wizards had just lost two in a row. One against the Boston Celtics, where it was clear that they should have won. Bradley Beal slips on Jason Tatum's sweat. That's the difference yep. between, uh, what was it, 9 out of 10. Uh, and then they ended up losing to the Grizzlies by uh, 15 points. And that was disappointing. So the last game to end the All-Star break was the Clippers. Fortunately for the Wizards, Paul George and uh, Marcus Morris were both out that game. And they were able to, with the Clippers coming to D.C., beat the Clippers right before the All-Star break. That game shouldn't have been that close to end it. Russ, free throw <laughs> shooting put him in a very precarious situation. But what did you think of the Wizards bouncing back after the two losses? It was really good to see, and especially, um, you know, especially a team like the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, who, regardless of who they're missing, are a playoff team. And anytime Kawhi Leonard, you know, suits up and decides to go out there, you're in for a lot. And um, they were in for a lot. <clears throat> Um, yeah, man, this, this team winning this game was really important, especially going into the break. Um, we never want to end, um, you know, whether it's a road streak or, um, you know, a road trip and especially in the, uh, you know, the case that we just had going into the all-star break with a loss, it just leaves a sour taste in everybody's mouth and going forward, you know, coming back from the break, it's kind of like, okay, what base do you have to build off of? Um, and luckily for the Wizards, they did win, albeit, um, Shouldn't have been as close as it was in the Wizards type of way. It always will be. Um, <laughs> but it's also good to see them win close games. This is one of those things where continuing this, um, you know, now playoff push in a kind of way, this kind of gray area and, you know, what could be for the next half of the season. We have to win a lot of close games. The schedule, um, yes, is a moderately easier, quote unquote, easier schedule. But this, you still have to go out there and win uh, in the NBA. Uh, any association, man, is nothing is given. Even some games that look like they're givens. And um, the Wizards came and performed, and they got that win against the Clippers. It's always good to see um, Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook, and everybody kind of just do their thing out there. Um, shout out to the bench that did play. Um, once again, they've been playing their role perfectly since these um, since this win streak has started, and it kind of just builds on, um, you know, builds on the end of the first half of the season, and starts the second half of the season very well. Yeah. So you you mentioned their uh, their schedule. I, I do want to touch on that because. Towards the end of the season, when you're trying to get ready for the playoffs, it does get a lot easier. But to start off the second half um, from the All-Star break is very hard. Where you have Memphis, Philadelphia, the Bucks twice. You have Sacramento, but then you have after that Utah, Brooklyn, New York, New York. So that first couple of games for the first two weeks are going to be difficult. And to be able to stay in this playoff run, because everybody is separated by three games from 12 to uh, 4, 
it's a three to four game difference. You have to be able to pick up some of those big time wins. It starts tonight um, in Memphis. I was personally impressed with the way the Wizards played. Um, coming off the terrible loss against the Grizzlies where they didn't seem motivated, Mo Wagner, like you said, even though he's starting, he still kind of plays bench minutes because Robin Lopez is um, their main guy hitting big threes. Um, Russell Westbrook, even though he wasn't good at the free throw line, he got the game-winning rebound. Bradley yep. Beal is being Bradley Beal. So the team is better, but I still need to see some more like offensive sets from them. It's still too many like, okay – this is Brad's time with his unit. He's going to be out on the floor. You're going to set a pick for him. He's going to go one-on-one and drive. Russ, he's going to back somebody down, either turn the ball over or shoot at Elevi's face. <laughs> I need more, like, legit sets from the team, and I think that's what we're missing now. So hopefully Brooks can figure that out. I do want to bring up one more thing with the buyout market and the trade market. Trade deadline, it's not here yet, but it is quickly approaching. Do you want to see the Wizards go after maybe another piece to potentially make the playoffs? Or do you think they're in a, such a weird space right now? You either let it ride out or you completely tank. Nah, honestly, you let it ride out. Um, with the momentum they've had over the win streak and kind of, you know, the last maybe two, three weeks of the NBA season, there's no reason not to see what this team is made of given what they've produced on the court. Um, this team is finally actually coming into its own, and it would just feel like a, um, a you know, a season suicide, you will to kind of just switch everything up. Um, there's been a lot of switching internally. So really, I mean, if anything, maybe we'll see some new lineups, Scott Brooks. Maybe we'll see some new offensive packages. Maybe we'll do something to change the game so we're not down <laughs> in the first quarter or something <laughs> like that. You never know. But um, I don't want to see any, uh, you know, personnel moves except guys getting more minutes. Um, I'm looking at you, Troy Brown. Well, I'm looking at Scott, you, Scott Brooks, but get Troy Brown in there. Do what you have to do. Um, you know, let's just make this happen because there's enough guys on the roster to make the playoffs. There's no reason they shouldn't be in the playoffs, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, no big moves, but let's just keep it internal and uh, focus on what's coming next. I agree with you to the extent of I wouldn't trade anybody or try to trade for somebody. But if there does, if, if you do end up finding like a three or four maybe in the buyout market that mm-hmm. is available, that is willing to come to D.C., like why not throw the flyer out there? Um, I love Rui, and Rui obviously is a good starter, and Mo has been good for us at center. But when you look at that backup four position, you don't really have much. Like Denny yep. sometimes will play the power forward, and I really like him more as a small forward. So if we could find maybe one more three, four there, I, I would be I would be in favor of that. But trading-wise, no. We already potentially gave up a first-round pick for Russ, and I think eventually it will end up turning into two second-round picks because of all the protections on it. But – trading is a no-go, especially if we should be a playoff team, but in the off chance that we aren't and we do have a high lottery pick, I don't want that to be gone to somebody else because we wanted to push for the playoffs. So this is definitely a stay-packed team and just try to build in the buyout market. Um, That's enough of the Wizards because we didn't have much really this past week besides obviously that Clippers win. They played Memphis tonight, um, Philadelphia on Fridays, uh, Saturday and Monday. They have the Bucks, so uh, four games the next time. Uh, by the next time we record, and it's going to be like that the rest of the season because of the COVID situation that they had. All the postponed games have to be made up, so they don't have any time really. No, they don't have two days off the rest of the season. Um, they yep. have a bunch of back-to-backs uh, game every other day, so it's going to be going to be grueling for uh, the Washington Wizards. Moving on from the Wizards, let's get to the Washington Football Team. I first want to start, um, we did uh, 
secondary last week, so we're moving over to the offensive side of the ball with the offensive line. But I want to start with Marcus Mariota. Micah, uh, you sent a tweet earlier today um, from Ian Ian Rappaport that said that the Raiders are expected to release Marcus Mariota by the end of this week. Obviously, we're big Marcus Mariota guys. We've made it known on the podcast. With Mariota being released, what would you do in that situation? Are we signing him to a one-year deal, a long-term type of situation? Because we already know that this is a guy that we want to sign. Or are you waiting to see maybe what his market is? What are we doing in the draft? And just try to figure out that situation a little bit later. Or are you immediately just going to pounce on Mariota? Yeah, so um, I honestly would pounce on Mariota, but not in a way of like, okay, secure a long-term deal. This is our guy for the next five to ten years. Let's make him the franchise quarterback. Not in that way at all. Um, You're going to see a lot of um, – Starting quality players in the NFL take really cheap deals, one-year deals, one- to two-year deals, probably more like one, um, because the cap room and, and the market is just so weird this year. And that's kind of what I want from the Washington football team. Um, Marcus Mariota, I doubt he expects job security in the free agency market, and he knows how the game works. You bring him in for a one-year deal. Um, you let him compete. Um, even though he probably will be end up starting in that scenario, he's definitely the most talented of the QBs that we have um, in-house. You let him compete. You see what he does for a year, and then when the uh, we know when the cap goes back up next year, and you have to make more moves to you know plan your future. If he plays well, then he's a part of that plan. So I do think that there has to be a um, urgency by the Washington Football Team to get one guy. Um, the worst case scenario, um, you don't want. And of course, they also made a um, you know they tried trying the ten year uh, Kyle Allen. That's also another security piece. But the last thing you want is going into the draft. All you have to show for um, your offseason so far quarterback is Taylor Haneke and Kyle Allen. I mean, yes, these guys did play last year, but that's not your ideal quarterback scenario. Neither of them are in the top 32 quarterbacks. Yep. And Marcus Mariota could possibly break that list, um, given, you know, given what we've seen on the field and given him, you know, kind of having another shot. So, yeah, be urgent about Marcus Mariota. Don't throw him the ridiculous contract because there's no need for it. There'll be more money going forward. Um, you sign him to a one-year, prove it, and let him prove it. Yeah, I, I think I would do similar with the exception. I think I'll try to get him um, a two-year deal where obviously most mm-hmm. of the money comes in the first year. You can have an incentive for the second, where if you do want to cut him for the second year, it doesn't really affect cap space by any means. Um, we both we both have said that we want to marry out on the team for a while, and at one point it looked like we had to trade for him, but with teams being teams not as interested and teams figuring out their QB situations, um, the Colts are out of it now. The Eagles are out of it now. The yeah. Lions and the Rams are out of it. So a lot of teams aren't going to be available. It gives you some leverage where you don't have to trade for Mariota. You can wait for him to be released. And now he is being released. Um, if you do find yourself in a situation where you love somebody in the draft so much and you do think they'll be a available, whether it is a trash in the second round, you could potentially wait out Mariota um, because if he doesn't have a strong QB market, then you can be like, well, if we don't get trashed, then sure, we'll sign Mariota. I don't want to risk that at all. The minute he's released, I'm calling his agent and saying, yeah. okay, get him to DC. But if Ron is if Ron is convinced, convinced on somebody, yeah, pull the trigger. Why not? Um, with, with Mariota, however, and his deal – we talked about the contract escalators and everything. 
are you looking for a one-year base salary of $10 million and then give him escalators based on how much he plays? Or are you making sure that he's, he's saying he's not going to be able to deny your contract where it's a one-year, $15, 18000000 million deal where it's like, okay, I, I definitely have to sign him? It's interesting because it, it does deal with the majority of the cap room. It is a big cap hit regardless mm-hmm. of how you play it, kind of. Um, honestly, I would give him the security. I will go for, okay, I don't want you to deny this. And, yes, that is kind of a dangerous move because what if Marcus Mariota just isn't it? Then you just wasted a year. It's a cap. waste, yep. Um, it, it is a big waste and it is a big risk. But I'm I'm kind of okay with taking that. I mean, I don't want to seem QB desperate, but, damn, I mean, we haven't had anybody since Kirk, bro, that has been, a, a talent-wise, at least a top-20 quarterback. Um. It's just like Marcus Mariota to me. He is, he is kind of the I don't want to say the hope for the team, but I think he would do the best job conducting the offense. Um, if Taylor Heineke and I kind of I keep bringing up Taylor Heineke when I talk about Marcus Mariota because their skill sets, you know, different skill levels of course, but very similar as for what they would do on the field. I think given what we've seen out of the Raiders, um, you know, the time Marcus Mariota played with the Raiders and his time with the Titans, and even going as far back as his college days, I feel like. Our offense is suited for that strong run game. Um, we're working on the weapons and things like that, but I think securing your quarterback and somebody um, you know guys can believe in on the market goes a long way with free agents. So um, I will go the security route. Yes, it might be a waste, but I'm willing to take that risk. Yeah, totally, totally agree. No, no, no disagreement there. Um, give him, give him the contract where he cannot deny it and he's signed. And at least at a minimum, you're like, okay, we know we have three guys in the building that we are comfortable with, and if there is a fourth that you wanna bring him via draft or via the uh, free agent market after the draft and everything, go ahead and bring him up, bring him in. But I, I want to make sure that he's not iffy on or choosing between two situations. You give him the money and you're able to roll. If he ends up being your guy, then so be it. Extend him and give him a long-term deal. If he doesn't, Hey, you have $15 million in your cap again right. next year. So it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really hurt, especially in a year that you have the fifth most um, cap right. space in the league. All right, moving on, we, we this is a podcast about the O-line. Same format, Micah. What was your grade on the O-line for uh, this past season and a couple of things that you want to see them improve on? Oh, my gosh. Um, Immediately, grade is a, a solid B. And um, I give them that because literally they were projected to be the worst O-line. And they were, yeah, they were projected to probably be one of the top three worst O-lines in the league. Trent Williams had just, you know, got off the ship, our superstar Hall of Fame level left tackle, no anchor on the line. Um, yes, we did have Brandon Sheriff, who is an all-pro caliber player, and he did make the um, all-pro team this year. First first offensive player or just – it's been a while since anybody's been an all-pro. 20 years. For, uh, the Washington football team. Yeah. Yeah, and then the last time it was like a puncher or whatever. It was a specialist player. So, literally our best offensive player – um, besides Terry McLaurin, is a feature on there. But outside of that, everything else was a question. Um, even Morgan Moses at times was a question. He's been, the, uh, you know, the vet around here for a while now. But even though his penalty troubles and stuff like that, it's just like uh, we could possibly do better. So going in, I thought it was going to be a huge issue, man. I, I thought they were going to get destroyed. I thought it was going to be just bad. We were talking about Dwayne Haskins playing at the time. I'm like, we're, you know, we're happy that he's skinny because he's going to have to be running around with this damn online situation. <laughs> um, and surprisingly, what it ended up being was a top 10 O-line, a top 10 in their, uh, in their position, in a position group, I should say. Um, PFF had them ranked at six in their end-of-year rankings. And 
I would really consider them as one of the in that six to ten range of just being effective. I don't know skill wise if they're ever going to you know top some of those like 2015, 2016 lines that we were putting out there, man. But this team, given what happened this year, made the most of it, and I really do think it's a solid B. Um, solid overall play. Yes, the O line still showed its kind of bad tendencies at times, whether it was penalties, missed assignments, just just bad kind of O line play, but. You saw a lot of consistency, and literally that's all you ever need from an O-line. Just mid, like limit the amount of bullshit that happens, bro. Like Do what you can, control what you can control, but just play your best and give effort. And I can say they did that this year. It wasn't any BS. It wasn't any, um, you know, situations like uh, just 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 terrible and it, and it sh- like stood out way too much. They were solid. And when you can have a season where you don't talk about the O-line, that's a successful season because – as soon as the preseason ended, man, and we didn't, you know, we got into the games, it was never a question of, like, holy shit, the O-line is fucking terrible. We were talking about everything else, you know, the lack of things. The O-line was probably one of the, uh, the brightest spots outside of a couple of players on the offense. So, yeah, man, I give them a solid B, maybe even going towards the B-plus just because they turned shit into a miracle. Like, no, no fucking, no, it was no way they were going to be good, and they made themselves good this year. So, a B, B-plus, man, I, I feel confident in that, too. I, I agree with you with uh, – I, I, I'm giving them a high grade, actually. I'm going A-. minus. Um, I don't blame with, you either. With the A- minus is just based off the fact of what Ron and the front office were able to do with limited, limited cap space, limited, um, limited uh, players available, unlike this year where you have so many uh, guards and tackles that are going to become available. And obviously, we'll, we'll be able to get into that. Uh, a little bit, but based off of their play, like you said, PFF ranked them the sixth best O-line last year. Cornelius Lucas, a guy that was a backup for the Chicago Bears. We were Everybody yeah. was scared that he was going to be starter once Sadiq um, had come and he got injured. I thought Sadiq was going to be a beast. He only got two snaps all season. Um, Wes Martin, we thought that this was his year to, uh, take, yeah. to, short, to take that left guard spot after Eric Flowers left. He sucked. Wes Schweitzer, nobody, nobody knew who Wes Schweitzer was. He comes in and he and he's ranked one of the best um, left guards in um, in football. Chase Roulier, who I, I believe was he a sixth or seventh round pick? Um, yeah, re- really fifth late round or something like that. Yeah, fifth round. Yeah, really, really late pick. Um, a couple of years ago, one of the best centers. We extend him this offseason. Brandon Sheriff, like you said, all pro guy. Obviously, he's been franchise tagged, and we'll get into that uh, right after. But all pro guy. Amazing. Morgan Moses, who last year was terrible. The holding, yeah. um, the missed assignments, the communication, everything about a season, injuries, everything was terrible. He has a bounce back season. There was a, there was a point in the season, um, I believe he was ranked the number two old, uh, right tackle in, uh, in the NFL just because he hadn't given up any sacks. He was playing really well. And he stayed healthy for the most part this season. So at A- minus, not, not only because they exceeded expectations for this year, and they also kind of gave a blueprint on how to be better. If you upgrade any of those positions, you can't really upgrade Sheriff, but if you upgrade almost every other position, this is this is an AO line. You you didn't really see weaknesses. And they did have to shuffle around in the beginning, like we said with Wes Martin and um uh Wes Martin and um a couple other tackles. Um Timon Paris, yep. we saw him for a little bit where he wasn't able to really do anything. Jerron Christian, we saw him also um, for a little bit, but we were able to settle with Cornelius Lucas, and he was able to excel in that in that position. Um, 
I do want to talk about Brandon Sheriff. Franchise tag, $18 million. That's the Ooh. most for a guard in the season. That is tackle money at right guard. Yep. What are your thoughts on the franchise tag? Do you think Washington should have? It sucks to franchise tag a, a guy for that much just because of, once again, the cap pit and a, and a cap shortened and challenged year. Um, you don't conventionally want to do that. And normally you never would ever want to pay a guard tackle money. Um, Position-wise, you can obviously plug a lot more guys at guard than you can get in tackle, so that's why their value is higher. But when you have a guy at this level, man, that plays like he does, it's hard not to throw him the money or, or at least – Tag him and look towards a long-term deal. He's already in his 30s, so the long-term deal won't be a damn, like, four- to five-year mega deal. But we, you can ensure that whoever is on this offense or whoever's playing quarterback is going to have security at that right guard spot while Brandon Scherf is there. He is, I would consider him, if not the best, one of the best at his positions and probably the best in the conference. Um, He's just, man, there's no reason you don't keep a guy like that in-house. He is a clubhouse leader. Um, he wears – does he have a C-patch, man? If he doesn't, then he get him on because um, he is just a, a model guy. He has a C-patch. Yeah, so, look, uh, a captain guy, a guy, high character, is going to represent your organization. But also he gets it done on the field. Um, the only thing is just like, damn, you don't want to pay a, a guy that flat fee for the year. But um, if they do get him to, go, uh, you know – commit long-term and give him the contract that he does deserve because he does deserve top guard money. Let's not make any mistake about it. Then, I mean, it's okay. Do you want the hit? No, but do you want him out the building? And No, because we saw what happens. I mean, you don't, you don't want to lose guys like Brandon Sheriff. You don't want to lose guys like Trent Williams because that's a hole you have to fill. Luckily they got it done this year, but you don't want to play the guessing game again and hope and pray that guys um, will show up. You know, Brandon Sheriff is going to show up. At his price tag, regardless, he's still going to show up. So, um, a lot of money committed to it. You don't conventionally want to pay a guard like that, but when he's your only All-Pro player in the last twenty-something years, you kind of have to. It's kind of it kind of is what it is. I I disagree. I, so, if this was a different year, if this was twenty nineteen, I would be totally okay with it. Mm-hmm. But with the amount of talent in the guard market. Brandon Sheriff on the free and free agency isn't going to command $18 million. There are just so many teams that'll be like, yeah, there's no shot. We're paying you 18 when we can get so many other guards that have just been released um, for a lot cheaper for 10, for $12 million. This is honestly the first time I believe that Ron Rivera and um, that front office have made a mistake Mm. because I I understand, I understand that it's important to let your guys know that, Hey, we value you. We want you to be here. And if you get a long-term deal done before um, the franchise tag is implemented, then the cap hit becomes, I believe, 11 or 12 yep. million if you can uh, convert some of it to signing bonus, and it works out perfectly. But if you're not able to, and if I'm his agent, I, I say, yeah, play one year on the cap. Right. Play play one year. We're not we're not signing a deal. You make 18 million, and you can make a, a long-term deal after. I, I just don't I don't understand the sense of it. There are top and top-tier guards that are going to be available within the next week. So you say, Brandon, uh, we're not going to franchise tag you. We saw it yesterday. A bunch of players did not get franchise tagged, and they said that our goal is still to sign you mm-hmm. um, this offseason. And Washington could have said the same thing. We're not going to tag you. Our goal is to get a long-term deal done. We want you here. We want you to be here and figure it out. But now you're in a situation where 
Okay, he plays $18 million all one year. You're not tagging him, obviously, again next year. So you're in a situation where he has all the leverage. He can say whether he wants to stay or not. And then if he leaves, you don't get anything for him. So with Ron and them, I don't know what they were thinking. Unless they are super confident that he's signing long-term, it's a mistake to me. There are too many good guards that are going to be available um, in, in the upcoming free agency that I'm just like, okay, that's fine. If you want to move on, so be it. We could sign, we could sign a whole um a whole bunch of guys. Uh Zeit, yeah, uh, Kevin Zeitler from from the Giants, who was a really good guard. He just became available to clear up $10 million of cap space. If you go ahead and say, okay, we'll pay Kevin $11 million, that gives you $7 million to add somewhere else. Whether you want to pay a receiver, you want to play pay a tap, like there's so many things you can do. And yeah, $40 million in cap space is still a lot of cap space compared to other teams. But it's not that when much, you yeah. had so what when you had we lost what uh, we gained fourteen with Alex Smith being cut. Yep. So yeah, we took the Alex Smith money back, but then we also added another four million dollars for no apparent reason. If you want, if he wanted fifteen million dollars, uh, fifteen million a year, how exactly is that going to change within now and the time that he signed a long term deal? It, it, it's only going to go up. Like it's not going down. We saw with Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott wanted to start at thirty three million a year. Then it went to thirty-five million a year. Now he's at forty million a year. So I don't, I don't see this going down. The longer it goes, goes on. I love Brandon Sheriff, like you said, high character, uh, great player, but he's been injured too. Yep. Like he, 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 in the past three years, he's missed sixteen games. So it's not like he, he's going to be there each and every week. He missed three games last, um, last year, and we thought potentially it was an ACL. Luckily, it was only a sprain, but. It's not like he hasn't been injured in the past three years. The last time he was fully healthy was 2016. So I think it was a mistake. I, I truly do. But if they're confident they get a long-term deal, so be it. But we, we'll just have to see how, how that situation um, plays out. So with improvements to the Washington football team's offensive line, um, the number one thing I've seen is obviously people want to improve that left tackle position. They don't think Lucas – is a long-term answer. I want to start with you, Micah, because I did I did a full breakdown on on the <laughs> the tackles in the draft. I want to get your thoughts on just the free agency market and the tackle market and what you think that they should do at left tackle because right guard and right tackle, center right guard and right tackle are set. The only conversations you would be having are left tackle and left guard, and I really do like Schweitzer at left guard, so it really focuses on that left tackle position. So what what do you what would you do with the left tackle? Yeah, so um coming into today actually there was a a short list of guys who I would kind of consider. Um, it's funny one of them is actually kind of Trent Williams. I, I don't expect him to fucking come back, but uh, it is <laughs> look, his problem was never with the entire organization. It was just that that guy Bruce Allen. You feel me? And you know some of those coaches in that situation. Um, I'm sure he has respect for Dan Snyder. So I mean, in a situation, I mean, yes, Trent Williams is he's gonna he always wants his money. He's gonna get paid. Uh, top dollar, and because he earns it, he's probably the best left tackle still at this point. Um, yeah, a, a decade in the league, and he still gets it done every single week. Um, if that's the way you want to go, and you want to, um, you know, do that, okay. There's a lot of cheaper options too. Um, maybe guys won't command as much money. Um, Kelvin Beecham was one that came to mind from uh, the Arizona Cardinals. That was a guy who, I mean, you're not going to get get top tackle talent, but you'll get mid tier tackle talent at a decent price. Um, that would be something I would consider them doing, especially just because they've always seemed to try to make good value moves and not just, uh, you know, 
pin whoever, you know, pin money on a guy just because that's not really the MO for this stat. Um, and actually, I mentioned coming into today, um, man, there's a guy that we wanted last year, Riley Reef um, from the Vikings, who, yes, he's a veteran. And, you know, yes, he'll get a little bit of chunk change and stuff like that. But you talk about a guy who is still, I would consider, top 12, top 10 in his position and still gets it done. And a guy who has been durable and a guy who's been around, it is Riley Reef. And I think, personally, I, I want them to take a shot at him. Why not? In a year where everything's kind of out of whack, you can secure the left tackle role. I mean, you know, left tackle spot for another three to four years by just giving Riley Reef a contract, by just seeing what he has. I think it's a perfect move. And honestly, I will consider them, um, you know, I don't want to say locks, but I will have high confidence that they go talk to him or at least pick up the phone. Just because when you have a situation like this where unexpectedly there's guys, veteran guys who's been around the league, not rookies, but actual veteran guys who you know you can plug and play, especially in a precarious position like O-line where you don't want to, you know, mess up the flow of things and there's balances and there's lineups you actually play out there. Getting a guy like Riley Leaf kind of just plugs and plays and it's a perfect fit. Um, for the anchor of the O-line. So, yeah, a guy like Riley Reef. Um, if you want to go big money at Trent Williams, if you want less talent but easier on your wallet, Kevin Beecham. But those three guys, I mean, they will all make sense to me. Um, I'm hoping it's Riley Reef because I could really see this O-line go from possibly six to possibly a top three position, like, honestly, just because of how well they play together. The left tackle for the Washington football team is already in the locker room. Uh-huh. Sadiq Charles. Yes, sir. Coming into last year, was predicted to be the left tackle. He got hurt, and because of how well Lucas was playing, um, the two snaps he came in, he was playing left yep. guard. Obviously, we're not, we weren't able to see because we we can't go to you can't go to training camp during COVID. We didn't get videos from training camp um, during COVID. He was projected to be a left tackle. I like Lucas. I think Lucas. Did, I think Lucas. Lucas did an all right job. I, I I don't think that he did anything to truly hurt the team, mm-hmm. but he wasn't a mauler like we saw with Trent Williams. I do think Sadiq can be that guy. If they do think he truly is a left guard, then so be it. Go ahead and get somebody from the free agency market. But under no circumstance, and I mean no circumstance, should Washington be drafting a left no. tackle in the first round? No. Well, actually, let me not say, let me not say that. If somehow, some way, Panacea oh, yeah. drops I mean. from the, proje- the projected number two, <laughs> number two player in the draft to uh, nineteen, the then yeah, sure, go 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 ahead and draft him. But Micah, I watched the tape of um, of these old linemen, and I'm just I'm just not sold. Last year, we both watched on the O line. Tristan Worse was our number one guy. We said that this guy is going to be amazing, and then he just dropped in the draft. And obviously the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, being the smart organization that they were, they traded up one pick just to make sure that he was still available. And worse, is already a top-five tackle in the league. But I do not see any Tristan Worst type of guy except for, obviously, Panay Sewell. And Sewell, a mauler, amazing. Whoever gets him, probably going to be the Bengals. Uh, Joe Burrow is going to be so excited and be thinking – and, and be thanking um, the front office for finally getting them some help. I want to start with um, Vera Tucker yep. from USC. He played guard. Uh, he played guard his junior year and then switched over to tackle once Austin Jackson left. He was, he was, he's probably out of all the tackles that are, are available in that first round. He's probably my favorite guy. Um, he did have fast, fast feet, uh, really good at, 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 um, at pass blocking. I, 
didn't really love his uh I didn't love his run his run blocking. I don't think that he really is that nasty, that guy that's able to get out in front, how Trent Williams was able to pull mm-hmm. and get to that second level. He, he was good at it, he wasn't great at it. It wasn't a 19 type of pick. Um Rashawn Slater didn't play in 2020. He opted out. In the in the year that he did play in, in uh 19, he, you got some center, you, saw, you got some guard, you got some tackle. I'm not a huge fan of him. I, I don't think he, he has the size for tackle. He's 6'3", yeah. 300 pounds, so he's not extra tall. And I don't think he's he, he's fast. I don't think he's super athletic to, to say that he, he's going to be that guy um, um, that guy for you. Like, he's athletic in the fact that he can run fast, but there's a different type of athlete that you need for a Trent Williams where you have your angles that you're taking and that we got spoiled because we didn't really get the good um, screens that we had seen the previous years because Lucas isn't that guy either. Yeah. Slater is a good uh, athlete and he does have the ability, but he's similar to a guy that I could see if he didn't work as a tackle in the league that they were like, okay, let's shed 50 pounds off of you and turn you into a a blocking tight end type of guy. And I just don't see it. He needs to be bigger uh, for me. The guy that I believe is completely overrated, and I hope he proves me wrong because I usually don't like to um, – I don't like to be negative on on draft picks and uh, potential guys, is Christian Derisaw. Mm. Slow feet. Extremely slow feet in the games that I watch. Um, not a good – not really a good run blocking. Against Notre Dame, I mean, he kind of he kind of got bullied. Um, he, he is able to get out uh, – he is able to get out uh, – with his pass block, like his first step is fast, but I just don't think that he would open up too wide and allow himself to be able to get beat. Like I, I could see like a Chase mm-hmm. Young essentially just r- turning the corner on him and getting to the quarterback. He, he, I don't think he's a first round talent. I, I just can't see it with him. I think he, he is a good, he is a good guy to have in the second round, but with his ability as a tackle, I just did not see it. Um, I would think he would be better as a guard, uh, but he yeah. is six five, so that is a little bit different. He does have to play that tackle position, but I just did not see it with him. And I've seen a lot of mock jacks with us taking him. I would rather go with the guys in house than have Christian Derisaw. Um, I don't know why right now he is predicted out that first round guy. Maybe I'll do some more deep dive and maybe come back next week and see. But from the games I've watched, I watched uh, a Notre Dame game. I watched the UNC game. I just did not – I did not see it with them. I, I don't know what the buzz around him is per se, but it, it wasn't good. Alex Leatherwood. Alex Leatherwood is a he's – a, he's a, he is a good player. Uh, he protected from Mac Jones. Obviously, that team had uh, – that quarterback had a lot of time in the pocket and everything. Um, he played really good, but also a second-round guy. He's just not worth the 19. I, I don't think – I'm not saying these guys are bad, yeah. but none of these guys are worth the 19th pick. When I saw Zay Collins, I was like, that's a first-round pick. When you see Micah Parsons, that's a first-round pick. When you see Kadarius Tony, that's a first-round pick. None of these guys here that I saw was like, oh, that's a first-round pick. With worse last year, we, we, mm-hmm. we both were like, that's definitely a first-round pick. That's definitely a guy that's going to make some noise in, in the NFL. All these guys here, I did not see. I do want to go into – as we go later into the draft, there was a guy that I did see that I really liked a lot, and that was mm-hmm. Dan Moore from Texas A&M. He's the third, fourth round type of guy. He's 6'5", 320 pounds. 
right now he's projected to go in the third or fourth round. I think he can turn himself into um, into a really good tackle. And it's based off of where he's picked right now. Because he's a day two guy, he's a guy that you can help. He's mm-hmm. a guy that he can stay behind Lucas. If you get somebody at 19, he's starting day one, and he has to. And I just don't – I don't see it with any of those guys where – yeah, they could start day one. I don't think any of them right now are elite besides, obviously, Sewell. So, for me personally in the draft, I did not fall in love with any of the guys in the draft. Maybe you have a different opinion on anybody, but I just would not waste a pick on O-line at 19. And seeing all the mock drafts, either having us take Darisol or I've seen a couple where they have us um, – where uh, they have us taking Tupper to <laughs> – I'm just, I'm just not a huge fan of that. What, what about you? What did you yeah, think so, of and I'm really glad you, you know, broke them down and kind of, like, talked about some of their strengths and their weaknesses and stuff like that. Because, honestly, bro, I didn't see anybody at 19 that I would take um, unless, you know, for some strange reason, Panay Sewell drops in, a, um, <laughs> in, in the weirdest case, like a, a Laramie Tunsil type of thing where, like, they have to sabotage him literally just for him to drop. Um, that's not going to happen. So, yeah, Panay Sewell will be off before – realistically, uh, before pick five. And then from everywhere else, I will consider everybody either late first round or second round talent. Like, even some guys who are ranked, like, as high as, like, the late first is, like, a three. Um, Somebody that is, like, okay, um, like, literally just, like, okay, and maybe we, you know, pick him up just because. <clears throat> um, I kind of like – I kind of like uh, – I'm gonna say his name right, Thayer Munford from Ohio State. Um, like it's it's just a guy. He's not mm-hmm. he's not really projected to do anything. He in mocks right now. I mean, he's projected like a third to fifth round guy, and like literally that would be it. A, a late day two, late th- uh, day three kind of thing going on where it's like okay, we, yeah, he does have size. Yes, and size, I kind of like that about him because maybe you might be able to you know, work his size in a way that complements the other O-line if he does need to start. You're not drafting him to start in no way, shape, or form you drafted him to start. But you're drafting him for a death piece, and maybe if you get, um, you know, maybe you can inspire him to, you know, kind of be like a killer out there. Because he is really much just kind of just like a guy. I wouldn't consider him dominant at all. Um, But his skills are good. He's very uh, – I would consider him technically sound to play at Ohio State, too. You kind of have to be, um, especially at O-line. So that would be a guy just to bring in for depth and maybe – uh. If you get in a situation where you know Cornelius Lucas, uh, Cornelius Lucas, excuse me, Cornelius Lucas gets hurt or something happens, then you might plug him in for a couple games. And be like, okay, dude, let's just do this and make this happen. Outside of that, nobody's worth it at nineteen, man. Um, I would rather pay somebody in free agency. I would rather stay in house. Um, and I would rather just do it that way. I, like I said, I think the line plays well together, and I don't think adding a young guy um that's not Penesuo to the mix helps them at all. I think it actually hurts them. So uh. No reason, no need to, um, you know, overextend your value or take a make a rash decision because you feel like you have to protect your guy. We need a left tackle. No reason to do that this draft. Um, and it's crazy. Even if you go down the rankings and stuff like that, and you look at like, um, who were the, you know, who was the fet, uh, the fifth best um lineman in the previous Jazz? It's guys like Orlando Brown and Greg Little. Who, whenever Greg Little gets healthy, he's going to be a factor, and Orlando Brown is a factor. Um, you go down even farther, guys like Austin Jackson, who weren't even considered top, you know, the best in their position. Uh, these are all guys that were are, you know, ranked comparably to some of the guys you're seeing in round ones and twos. It's just like it just doesn't match up. The talent just doesn't match up. It's a it's a it's a weak class it, it for O line this year in yeah. general, especially at tackle. Um 
So yeah, there's just no reason to take it. It's just bad value at 19. Yeah, I was just looking and I was counting. Uh, there were, they're currently in the mock draft madness that they that the Washington football team puts out. There were six Jeez. people that had a stake in Christian Derisaw, and he's not, he's just not he's not good in the run game. He gets he got stood up so many times where you see him, he takes that first step and he's not able to move his man. He's just in the way. And in the NFL with the DNs that we have now, you have to be able to move them. And I, I just I just don't see it. And literally the only reasoning that they give, they don't give that he's a mauler, just like, well, this may be the best available player here. And I would go with I mean, we've talked about so many position groups where um at linebacker Zay Collins, I would go with Jock too at linebacker. I would go with so many other positions before I do take a Darisol at um at nineteen. So Hopefully, hopefully we we do take O linemen later in the draft, whether it be second, third, fourth, fifth round picks. We've hit on those the past couple of years, and they've worked out for us. Sadiq Charles, I believe, if he's healthy, can be your starting left tackle for you. Um, and and yeah, that that's it. But for for guys just to be able to reach up because you there's they think that we need an right. extra left tackle when you were ranked sixth in the league last year. I just, I just can't see it. I just can't see it. But that's going to wrap it up for us this week, Micah. Um, next week, I, I believe we are going to take a week off um, with uh, doing these grades and everything just because free agency will be starting by this time next week. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the main moves that Washington is going to make. Ron Rivera talked um, today that yep. we're going to go big at some guys, but we're also going to, if we miss on those guys big, we're going to do the same thing as last year, bring in our Logan Thomas, bring in our J.D. McKissick, bring in our KPLs, and, and see where we go from there. So it should be an interesting week. We have, four, again, four Wizards games, so a lot to talk about next week. But for Mike, for Michael, we'll see you on the next episode. Peace.